Welcome to Talent Management Truths. I'm your host, Lisa Mitchell. I'm a talent management thought partner and results coach, wife, and mom. Talent management leaders are hungry to learn from their peers and want to hear about real-life talent initiatives. This podcast is for and by talent management leaders. My guests and I dig into successes, challenges, and lessons learned from a very practical, not theoretical point of view. You'll discover important insights about how to elevate your confidence and amplify your influence in a role known for being caught in the organizational middle. I'm thrilled to have you listening. So let's get going and hear the truth about talent management today. Have you ever filled out a survey or attended a focus group providing lots of ideas and feedback only to notice that nothing ever came of it? Me too. Well, in this discussion, my guest and I discuss how to use feedback data to move from a performance management culture that feels like something done to you into one that is a team sport, a partnership. My guest is Linda Keating. Linda is currently Vice President and Chief Talent Officer at Aviso Wealth. She's held Vice President roles in two of Canada's other preeminent financial institutions and has led multidisciplinary teams of professionals across North America. I previously interviewed Linda's colleague and leader, Sherry Evans, on episode 39. Check it out. Both of these women are incredibly talented professionals and are a testament in my belief, to the kind of people that Aviso employs. It was a pleasure getting to know Linda in this conversation. She's so accomplished and articulate. Enjoy, and thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome back to Talent Management Truths. I'm your host, Lisa Mitchell, and today I'm joined by Linda Keating. Linda is Vice President and Chief Talent Officer at Aviso Wealth, and it's an absolute pleasure to have her. Welcome to the show, Linda. Thanks, Lisa. It's a pleasure to be here. So perhaps we could begin by you sharing with the listeners a little bit about your background. You have a really interesting history. <laughs> well, I took a circuitous route into talent. I have, a, I have a degree in education. So when I came out of, of the university, I ended up in the new manager's development program at Bell Canada and was in learning and development. And I have to say a lot of my formative learning and sort of development was at Bell. So I'll give them a kudo there. I led their 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 talent team there for new management development. I hired them. So I was a head of management recruiting. And then I I developed the new management development program. And then I got the opportunity to go into OD there, which was very new. And that's where I got introduced to the design around performance management succession. And where I got introduced to competencies, which really, I think, is, was my route into the talent space because it was so intriguing and so exciting. And where I got to work with Haymick Burr, which is now Coin Ferry, I actually worked for them for a few years. Oh, did you? Okay. Foundational effectiveness team. So you, have that you have the consulting side too, yeah. Yes, exactly. So that's how I sort of scooted into talent. Beautiful. And so with with moving into Bell, so you mentioned the competencies were really exciting and kind of mm-hmm. new. And, you know, I know some people that would think competencies aren't so exciting. <laughs> I love them myself because I've been able to craft them from the ground up, you know, working with leaders so that they're culturally appropriate and so on. Tell us why, what you find exciting about competencies. I think what I find exciting about competencies is it really provides an anchor 
because I too developed them right from research interviews as I was taught. And people love to share what they do. They love to talk to you about what went well and how they do things. And it's the ability to link different behaviors that are done in conjunction that produce brilliance and really make the difference between just doing okay and doing an amazing job. And I think it's also the fact that you start to recognize them as you observe them because you become so deep in this. And actually the behaviors that we have here at Aviso, I developed exactly like that through research interviews right across the organization at all levels and all departments. And I think it really reflects the culture of the organization when you do it that way. I could not agree more. What What's one example of an Avisa leadership behavior? I think one of the ones that probably reflect and differentiate Avisa is community. We are owned by and service credit unions across Canada. And I think that link to the community essence of credit unionism permeates our organization. We do a lot of work in, in, in the communities we work. And I like to think that a lot of the decisions we make as a business reflect you know, our ESG and responsible investing. And, and I think that's one of the ones that truly differentiate us in the marketplace. So great. Yeah, community. I, that's a big word kind of in the work that I do. I really believe in this this idea of co-creating community. So when you talk about, you know, starting, you know, that anchoring, right, and really having the competencies or behaviors as a reflection of an organization, how did you go about communicating and, and embedding these behaviors with the employees at large? I mean, we did our, you know, we've done some good communications. We have a stunning internal communications team that I work with daily, it seems to me. Yeah. So we, we, we launched them. We had our president talk about them. We talked about how they link to the values. And I think that's what's really important. We revisited them. I guess, last year in reference to some of the changes we were making in our, the direction of our company and our vision and our, our, our mission statement. And we thought our values and community remained one as to respect leadership, of course. And the other thing we've been doing is launching them through what we call our culture committee. So we have members from across the organization. We meet bi-weekly. Each month has a theme. We're going to relaunch that in September. It was a little soft this year. You know, COVID and the pandemic sort of made everything just a little bit different. So on a monthly basis, we have activities that we want leaders to do and we make available for them. So it might be leadership month or it might be community month. And we also try to link that to special events, you know, such as Black History Month. Because Culture is really how people experience the organization. And culture is what people believe they need to behave like in order to fit in and be successful in an organization. So the culture committee tries to influence the experience of the employees through the demonstration of our behaviors and our values. So I, I think that's probably one of the biggest ways that we try to 
talk about them. We've integrated them into performance management. We've integrated them into our selection. So it, it's foundational, but it hasn't been a huge splash. Yes. And, and it, what I noticed there was an emphasis on creating experience, right? And and it kind of aligns with, you know, the Oz Principle book you may be familiar with. So what do they call it? Accountability partners. I can't remember. Anyways, it's, it's about creating a, a culture of accountability. So it's this idea that, you know, experiences that we, that we create and offer drive the beliefs. That yeah. is what drives yeah. the, the actions, which drives the results. So versus saying, here's what we want you to do, action, that to get these results. We're actually starting with, you know, creating experiences to drive beliefs first. And I, I really, that's always resonated with me. And I think that's really important for people to understand around culture change is that you can change people's knowledge in an instant. You can send them an email, you can post something, and they now know something different. And, you know, that's what we did with the, with the behaviors. Here, you now know that we've changed them, we've revised them, we've tweaked them, but they need to experience them to believe that that's what we're really doing here. Because otherwise, it's just a piece of knowledge, right? So, and belief, change in belief probably takes 18 to 24 months because it can't just be a momentary change. It has to be something that people continuously experience so that it is the norm. And I think therein lies the challenge for a lot of organizations because, you know, people want to rush to that finish line. Like I know I'm guilty of that in life just in general. I want every I want to have done everything yesterday, you know, and and so and you see this a lot, you know, in the executive suite for for many of my clients where it's like, like can we just get there now? Versus allowing time for the sand to kind of make its way through amongst the rocks, you know, in that old metaphor or model that we used to we used to show, right? Change is a process that takes place over time. And I, at one point in my career, I did a great deal of culture change work globally. Yeah. And I can remember, you know, we do an assessment, we do a survey, I report out to the, to the leadership and they'd say, oh, well, that was four months ago. <laughs> totally changed. And I would just laugh and say, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I'm sure you have, but let's talk about how we're going to make sure that it it's maintained and we sustain the change because, oh, that's old news for months. And I'm thinking, yeah, you got about another year behind you. <laughs> well, it's so funny as you even think about just, just forming a basic new personal habit. You know, they say it takes at least 90 days of continuous, constant practice. So there's that idea of consistency and it's so hard for all of us, you know, just on an individual level. So for an organization, it's exponentially more difficult. So, so being really strategic is, is key. It is. When I, when I talk about this with, with my clients, and I talk about clients internally as well as externally when I was a consultant, and I'd say, you know, it'd be like if I worked for you, Lisa, and I was always late for meetings. And finally said, this is unacceptable. So for six months, I'm there on time. I'm early. I bring you a coffee. And then one day, I'm, I'm late again. And everyone in the room says, oh, it's Linda. She's always late. But if I've done that consistently for over a year, all of a sudden, one day, I'm not there on time. And someone goes, oh, my gosh, I wonder what's wrong. Linda's always here. And that's when you know that, that the change is now the norm. This is what is expected. And that's the same way with culture. 
Yeah, it's, it's you know, there that you've changed the belief about who Linda is and how she shows up. And that creates a new level of of tolerance, mm-hmm. of empathy, which is, you know, and that being almost a buzzword nowadays, right? How do we create, cultivate, increase empathy in our organization? That's a great example. So let's kind of, you know, digress slightly to mm. your focus on the voice of the employee, because I think that you're doing some really interesting work in this space. And this is so timely, Lisa. We launched our second annual Voice of the Employee survey yesterday. Ah, perfect. And we've we've had a buildup. Bill mentioned it, which is our CEO. Then he he mentioned it in a communication. Then we sort of reminded people last week. And then on Monday, I guess, I sent out a note with everyone saying, hey, it's that time again. Please take the time to, to complete it. And within one hour, we had over 100 completions. So 12% of our population completed the Voice of the Employee survey within an hour. I am so excited. I can see that you're glowing. So, <laughs> so tell us what you attribute that to. I think the buildup, you know, the fact that the president talked about it, that it was in the newsletter and that, you know, I also, we use Yammer. So I posted it on Yammer. I'm a great believer in making sure that people sort of see it in different, different places in the organization. And I think people have something to say. And, and I think the reason they have something to say this year, last year, traditionally, our organization has about 70 to 75% completion rate, which is extraordinary. It is. We have a, I guess, a verbal <laughs> population, so to speak. So I think people have things to say. And I think one of the reasons for that, or maybe several, is that just recently, we reminded everybody of all the things that we did this year because they told us. And I think that's something that, that organizations often forget, that, you know, they do the survey, they do stuff, and they think everyone will know that they did it because of the survey. But the truth is people go, oh, they finally figured that out. They finally figured that out. That's a very good thing. But we've tried to use the phrases because you told us. Because you told us that you didn't have, you know, we're a smallish organization and growing. So our learning organization is very small. So for instance, this year we purchased LinkedIn Learning for all employees because in their last survey, they said, we don't have the opportunity to have access to additional learning. And, you know, the world is changing. People don't want to come and listen to me talk to them for an hour in a face-to-face you know, classroom event. And LinkedIn Learning provides them with so many options that, you know, if they've got five minutes and they just want to, oh, I've got this difficult call. Maybe I need to know what I should be doing or, or, hey, they're talking about agile. What is that? I've got 15 minutes. I can go and look that up. It's so accessible and, and it puts people in charge. And so we, we did that, you know, because they told us that performance management was a chore. And something that they didn't look forward to. In fact, you know, that it's, they feel it's something that gets done to them. We did focus groups with all levels of the organization. We got their feedback. And then we integrated that into our new launch of performance through partnership. And that's a critical thing. This isn't something that's getting done to you. It's something that you, you partner with someone. It's, it's, 
it's it's a it's a team sport, <laughs> and we, we we launched that this year. And we said, hey, don't forget, you told us all these things that you didn't like, and so here's what we did to make it better. So let us know if we did a good job. Like, do we need to do some more tweaks? We're listening, and I think that's important. Well, and it shows to this openness to change to you know say because you told us we are changing x but it's also this ongoing willingness to evolve as needs and and experiences dictate right because even if we think we've got it right you know the changes are going to fit exactly you know based on what the feedback is it may not actually hold true in execution so that's okay absolutely and i mean we investigated the whole concept of no performance management system because, you know, there are organizations that do that. But because of the nature of our business, a lot of the, the companies that we, where we found that it really worked for them to have no performance management, there's, you know, there's some, there's some sense of performance. There wasn't a lot of individual contributor bonus planning. It was more organizational bonuses, and that works. But when you have an individual component to your bonus or your, your pay structure, you really need to be able to say, here's what I expect, here's how I'm measuring you, and here's how we did, right? So it was. we did look at it, but we just felt that it, it, there's something very appealing about it but there's also something that makes it sort of difficult when you've got those kind of aspects to your bonus plan. Well, this is this is the thing. Like I remember going to a, a, a thing with with David Rock, you know, who's really oh, yes. behind yes. this movement. And so it was it was with senior leaders, and it was a morning. I just can't think of the the group that I was with, but it was to hear about this idea of of ditching performance management, so on and so on. In the end, though, when we kind of dug a little bit, and I went up and talked to him after, you know people couldn't get their heads around the pay for performance aspect. So there still needed to be some way to measure, right? And to be able to map that back, it's partly about fairness. And it's also part of it comes down to what high performers expect, right? They don't want people getting a free ride, so to speak. Exactly. Exactly. And you want to drive performance and you also want to recognize the extraordinary things people do. And the extraordinary lengths they go to in order to meet the expectations. And doing things that you don't expect in order to to come up with something different or new in order to increase sales or increase customer satisfaction, particularly. Yeah. Well, so now something you had shared with me previously around, you know, the revamp, if you will, of, of your per- performance through partnership program, which I really love that name, very intentional. So you talked about moving from goals that focused on what you want to do that was sort of aspirational to what you will be doing. And I'm hoping you can elaborate and share some examples with us. Well, what what some of the feedback we got when we did the focus groups was, I don't know where to start. Like, wh- what what is a goal? Because somehow over time it had evolved into something that wasn't part of what you did. It was something special or something outside or additional. And it had to be, you know, had to be strategic. And, you know, and and we had initially started with a program where the employees wrote the goals and the manager reviewed them. And we thought, mm, you know, people are struggling with this. So we said, let's have a partnership of conversation before and let's focus on what we pay you to do. 
What are your accountabilities? What are we recognizing for here? And create goals that are linked directly to what you do every day. And then it sort of falls on the shoulders of the manager and the leadership to say, this is how what you do links and contributes to the strategy of the organization. We wouldn't have you do something that was meaningless. So it, 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 it helped people say, okay, well, I know what I do on a day-to-day, so here's my goal. And I think it, it brought clarity and a bit of simplicity to it that we had drifted away from. I've seen that happen before. You know, it's so fascinating to me, both in organizations I've worked worked for in and also with clients. But I know, you know, one one client organization where they've kind of moved to is it's it's very clear that there's a set out of the goals, say there's five, that you know, four of those are based on the actual work. And and it's not just about stretching artificially for the sake of stretching and that ongoing almost like domino effect of, are we ever going to get off the continuous improvement wheel, right? Like, I just don't know how much faster I can go or how much more productive or efficient or effective, whatever you want me to be. So it was this idea you've got, it's, it's like what you're talking about, very simple, straightforward, let's focus on what we pay you to do. And then there is one more stretch type goal that could be related to that work or to their personal growth and development. That's often in a separate planning piece. Yeah. And we do have the IDP and we try to link the individual development plans to the behaviors and the values. So what do you need to work on? And we've just completed the second quarterly touch base. And hopefully that's where people had the conversation about development as opposed to just performance. And we are hoping that they utilized, we sort of created a resource over an overlay of LinkedIn that said, if you're focusing on respect, if you're focusing on you know, customer experience, here are some programs that you might want to to utilize and then have a conversation with, well, how are you going to use that on your job? So I haven't heard any feedback yet because it's, I guess, the quarter discussions have till the end of July. I'm hoping that they're happening as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> now, how do you find, you know, in order to ensure that those quarterly conversations are having and in, in the way that, that you would like, how, you know, what are the things that that you have put in place to, to help that? Well, we've put in place some training, how to have a good conversation. We have discussion guides and we have two sets, one for the employee, one for the manager that says how to prepare to have a really purposeful and meaningful conversation around performance and development. So we've put those out. We reminded everybody and we we said, here's the link to all the materials. We encourage you to have that conversation. Actually, I was interviewed internally. So there was a podcast of me internally talking about this and encouraging people to go online, access these tools and Make the most out of the conversation. And if your boss isn't reaching out to you, you also have a responsibility here to say, excuse me, I'd like to have a conversation about my development. <laughs> you know, hey, it's a two-way street, as we said. You well, know, it is. And, I, and I, I think, though, it bears saying, right? Because I think a lot of times it really links back to your emphasis on voice of the employee. A lot of times, though, individual contributors don't necessarily, it's not that they don't want to to be responsible for their own growth and development, but they sometimes think that they don't have a strong enough voice that they can't say, hey, Linda, I want to have a conversation here. We're supposed to have that development conversation. Like it feels, I think it feels like they need to be brave and have some courage. And that may be true in some cases. 
And, and, and I think that's true. And, and, and I think what people need to recognize is that conversation is a right. It's not a privilege. Mm, I agree. I agree. And it's, it goes back to the partnership piece. This isn't about like, like we can't tick along with, with, you know, only the leaders doing what they need to be doing or only the employees. Like it really is. How do we work in concert as a cohesive community? And uh, one of the organizations that I worked at, I created a, a performance management program that was called My Development, My Success. I always liked it better in French. Mon développement, mon succès. Sounded so much nicer. C'est parfait, j'adore. But it was really about taking the reins. You know, this is don't wait on the sidelines for someone to say, "Hey, guess what, Linda? I think I know the best job for you." Really? It's about, "Hey, what's going on here that I might be interested in?" You know, and asking the questions. One of the things we're doing in in Adaviso. I have a very talented woman who works with me, Sandra Marie Leduc, and she has been working on career pathing. And again, we're a, we're a small but mighty team, and we've been doing it division by division. And we've been putting up career maps on our intranet. So it says, here's where you could come from. Here are the skills that you need. Here's what you require. Here's a pathway through and out of this organization to another part. And we also have these great videos of our employees talking about their jobs, what they what they like and what they learned. And so we're encouraging people to go on there. There's more to a visa than your single division. Look around and see what other people are doing because you might say, wow, that sounds really interesting. What would I have to do to get in there? And then you can have a focused conversation about, I'm really interested in joining the CU Wealth team. That looked really interesting. What would I need to do to make myself eligible? You know, and then you have a purpose and a, a goal. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of career paths. And actually, there's a couple of participants in my my group mentoring program, the Talent Trust, that are currently have those on their goals for this year, because it it's it's about helping encourage a culture of you know let's put our hands up let let's as a leader I welcomed that like I was looking for people who would say I want to do that I can do that like what else is out there you know the people that want to broaden their horizon and, and are very interested in different ways that they can contribute to the business yeah. so we have we just launched IT I believe last week so really excited about that we have some of our sales teams on there and it just Eventually, as I said, small team, and, and it, it is a lot of work. It's a lot yes. of work for the, the leaders of the, the divisions as well, because they really have to sit down and articulate. So what are the skills that you need? What are you going to gain here? What is a natural path? What is sort of a standalone role in, 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 in my division? Where could they go from here? So there's a lot of work involved in it. But when it's finished, it, it is a thing of beauty. It well, it is, and and I, I think it creates that sense of ownership for one's own development. But also with that comes a stronger kind of belief and sense of belonging in the organization about you know that's that's attached to that contribution, that ability to contribute. Yes, and long time ago I took a, a course, and and I was certified in it too. I'm trying to think of who it was. 
it's a blessing in white. I, I can't remember. I don't oh, okay. even know if they're long or if they're even around anymore. But it was called Choices, Choices, Choices. And it was about where you were, your dream job, where you thought you might go in the organization. Then it talked about your personal values and what what made you happy. And the the job that I always thought that I wanted, I realized, ew, you know, when I think about when I think about all the stuff that this person would have to do, I'm not sure I really want to do that. I really want to do this. And as I moved in my career and and I I would interview and, you know, I'd get headhunted and stuff. And I remember someone saying, the the thing with you, Linda, is you aspire to leadership, but you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, my goodness. And this is this is so so true of so many. You know, I think of my my own husband who spent, you know, I met him in, in corporate after I left teaching in a long time ago. And he kept, he was so good at what he did, you know, so he kept getting tapped to be a team leader or a manager. And he was okay at it. But he, hated it. He actually didn't want to be responsible for anybody's performance but his own. And, you know, f- you know, now he's self-employed as am I, but, you know, it, it took many years to sort of get to the point where it was like, why do I keep sort of getting sucked into this when I don't actually enjoy it, right? Really placing value on his own values. Exactly. But, you know, I've always been lucky in that as I took leadership roles in different organizations, especially here, well, last week I led the Purposeful Conversations course, because I love leading courses <laughs> and I love doing that. And it's not quite as much fun virtually, but no. uh, I, I enjoy, you know, hearing about the experience and at the end people saying, wow, I never thought about it like that. And so I still lead courses, even though I'm the vice president. That's, that's okay. <laughs> I did that in my last role. I was the VP of talent as well. And, 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 you know, I, what I think is interesting is is how it connects you back to the essence of the work and what we do, and you're hearing exactly. that direct feedback. So I think there's, I think all senior leaders should do a little bit of it if they're in our area of of work, right? To exactly. to have that connection back to the energy you get from facilitation and and especially face to face, but even even virtually, I I still enjoy it, and I think it's also my acting background. I sometimes. <laughs> have the urge to be on the stage. <laughs> oh, that's great. You were an actress. I love it. Okay. Well, so uh, there's one other piece that I really wanted to chat about too that's connected to this because I think you're doing some, again, some interesting work. It's around your high potential program and the emphasis and support and resourcing you've put around coaching. Would you let us peek behind the curtains on that a little bit? Sure. We, we've we been working on our high potential team probably the last three years, and, and Sandra, again, has been doing a lot of this, the heavy lifting on this, but we've, we've got individual executive coaches for a great number of our, especially VP and above, um, high potentials. And then we identified directors and senior managers, so, so what we're calling enterprise talent, and we introduced a peer coaching program that we're calling coaching community circles that are facilitated initially by our team, and then eventually they're taken over by the team themselves. And they have access to materials. And once a quarter or depending, some of them are meeting every two months, they have 90 minutes where they get together on a topic. There's a pre-read and then they share their experiences and talk about how this works out 
or plays out in our organization? And how can we take this learning and what we're hearing from others and make ourselves better leaders and better managers? So that's been very, very successful. We've just launched another two, I believe, circles last week. And the other thing that we launched for our our enterprise talent is the Innovation Lab, working with Dr. David Weiss. And they were selected from across the organization, all different parts of the organization, different levels. And they're working on a specific business opportunity or issue. And they do the research, they go out, and then in September, they're going to present to the executive committee what their findings is around this this opportunity and what their recommendation is, maybe to take action or not really sure. I've sort of, we, we backed out of it. We just wanted to make sure that it was them not being observed, just working. So they're learning the approach to innovation because this is really about leading an innovative organization, not entirely being an innovative leader, because that's sort of a different thing. We really want to to give them those skills. So really looking forward to September when I hear what they've come up with. I think their last session was this week. Oh, I'd be curious to be a fly on the wall. Yeah. I might have to reach out well, to hear about yeah, that. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah, I'll let you know, because I'm really excited to to hear what they've come up with. Yeah, that's fantastic. So actually, and I just want to go back to the, the, with the coaching community circles, because I've developed those as well in the past. They work really, really well. When you say the pre-read and sort of the conversation guide, is that something, even though your, your team is no longer facilitating those once they get going, you're still providing those yes. regular? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. So there's kind of a build and an overall uh, overarching design and direction yes. that you provide. And, and I, there is a vendor. And there is really badly because I don't remember the name. Is it co- yeah, that I remember there's one coaching ourselves. I think they were called. I think that's who it is. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah there's no. I know it's Canadian. It's out of Montreal. Sandra's again running with this. But one of the, the successes I see from this is some of the people who are our, our initial coaching circles started their own. Oh, it hand up and said, I want to be the leader of this. And so they've started their own coaching circles. So that's when you know it's starting to be ingrained and, and, and part of the, the landscape. So we're encouraging more of that. We're going to hold a few sort of open opportunities where you can just sign up for the topic and see if people come in and then would they sign up for the next two or whatever. So trying to, to get that more widespread. Yeah, it's fascinating because that's the the whole concept of peer learning models, I think, is is starting to get more attention. And, you know, I do these monthly talent talks for talent professionals to come in and it's really this the same idea, right? It's not yeah. me teaching to them, I'm facilitating it. I kind of set the stage and then they're talking about themselves and 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 people love it, right? It's powerful because nobody wants to be told. We wanna we wanna talk and like what have you tried and here's where I'm challenged and what do you think? And and you know, people I think are often surprised they get a bit addicted to the fact that they know more than they thought they did, right? <laughs> you know, can that that kind of propagates this idea of wanting to do, you know, run their own perhaps. Yeah. And it's it's nice to hear what other people are doing and what they're finding successful, because sometimes it's something really little and sometimes it's something really big. And you just think, wow, that's a 
I could do that and it wouldn't cost me that much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's conversation and learning and there's exactly. so much value, right? For the, you know, there is an investment of time and some energy and it's completely worth it. Well, so we are at the end of our time together and I just want to thank you really. I mean, it's just been such a pleasure speaking with you today and, and hearing about some of the, the neat things you're doing at Aviso. It was my pleasure, Lisa, and I look forward to chatting again. Me too. And I will let you know what's happening with the Innovation Lab. Okay, yes, I'm going to hold you to that. Perfect. Thanks so much. Thank Thanks. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your colleagues. Better yet, head over to iTunes and let us know. When you subscribe and leave me a five-star review, not only do I glow from within, but more people will learn about the show and why they should listen. Until next time, keep telling the talent management truth.